The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for joining us tonight. Great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about all things conspiracy. Our guest, Andy Thomas, is a truth and mysteries researcher and author. And we're going to talk about his new updated and expanded edition of his book called Conspiracies, The Facts, The Theories, The Evidence. It's just been published here in the United States, also in the U.K. and Australia and in other places. It's in print. It's available as a Kindle uh, on Kindle and as an audio book. And it adds in substantial amounts new information on recent world events, as well as all the classic areas. And Andy believes conspiracy should be talked about much more in a world of growing online censorship. It's a great point, and I'm excited to have this discussion with Andy. A couple things to remind you of before we get to this discussion. Please join us on YouTube. Many of you are watching right now, and many of you are watching uh, the YouTube recordings um, as, a, as a recorded program later on. But either way, please, if you're listening as a podcast listener, find the YouTube channel and subscribe. It's just J.V. Johnson on YouTube. Uh, the actual name of the channel is J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal, but you can find it either way. Subscribe to it. Hit the notification icon. That gives you an opportunity to be notified when we go live or when we upload bonus content, which we do frequently. There are about 550 back episodes of Beyond Reality on the uh, YouTube channel, all available for you. Great interviews there. Some really great guests that uh, we've been able to talk to. It's terrific stuff. Um, in addition to that, uh, if you're a podcast listener, find us on Facebook. It's Beyond Reality Radio on Facebook, plus my page, JVJ Paranormal. Just look for JV Johnson. However, I'm not even sure how that stuff works, but we invite you to join us and be part of our community there as well. Okay, we'll go to break. When we come back, we will bring in our guest. Again, tonight we're talking with Andy Thomas about conspiracies. This is going to be a good one on Beyond Reality. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks again for joining us tonight. I'm excited about this discussion. You know, we frequently talk about things that are on the fringe. And whenever we get around to talking about conspiracies, my eyes, my ears, and my senses, maybe it's my spidey senses, all perk up because this stuff is really important. And our guest tonight has made it his life's work and mission to try to seek out and uncover the truth to many of the things we're going to be talking about. Andy Thomas is a truth and mysteries researcher and author, and he's got a brand new updated and expanded edition of his book called Conspiracies, the Facts, the Theories, the Evidence, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Andy, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you with us tonight. It's very nice to be with you. Thank you. So you, just so everybody knows, you're in the U.K., um, Things are kind of crazy around the world right now. We probably should get this right out of the way. Uh, things, uh, you know, at airports are, are, are tightening up uh, screening of people coming and going, all because of this virus, which most of us are still trying to scratch our heads because the, 
on one hand, we're all being told, don't panic. Coronavirus is not something to get all upset about. Yet governments are going way out of their way to do things in an unprecedented manner. I mean, I see I see videos of people of, uh, you know, workers spraying down streets, spraying down buildings. There seems to be a real disconnect between what we're being told and what we're seeing. Do you know anything or have any theories about what's going on with this coronavirus? I mean, there are, of course, lots of conspiracy ideas out there about the origins of the virus and where it might really have come from and whether it is something designed to kill us all or it's something that's being exaggerated out of all proportion as a way of controlling us. Now, I mean, just this afternoon, so I went into the local stores here and there's whole shelves emptying. People are beginning to just grab, especially toilet paper. There's a, a big <laughs> toilet paper run here. Um, but also but things like, you know, uh, tablets, drugs, you know, and hand wash. It's all vanishing. So people have gone into a panic mode. Um, some of the powers that are being brought in in a number of countries, but especially here in the UK, a lot of people are now getting concerned because if they were to go ahead with some of the measures they're currently talking about, we're heading for a form of martial law. Uh, and, of course, as soon as you give a government those kinds of powers, will they want to give them back? So, yeah, there is some concern here at the moment that even if there is a virus that clearly needs to be sensibly dealt with, there's a kind of a tone of panic which is sitting in, certainly in the media. Uh, I mean, of course, we have the BBC over here, uh, but a lot of what they've been putting out there, it's not toned in a way that makes you feel safe. It's toned in a way which basically tells you to uh, get ready to worry uh, and, and people are, and they're responding. But of course, when we are in fear, that's when we give away control uh, and we allow ourselves to be uh, sort of pushed into certain areas that maybe we shouldn't. So yes, this, I'm afraid, uh, is building up a, a lot of conspiracy speculation. But of course, people are genuinely worried and uh, we hope there won't be too many casualties. But it's really hard to know at the moment what the truth of it is. Yeah, and that brings a couple of ideas to mind for me. One is uh, the discussion that this could have been a biological weapon or a biological uh, experiment, if you will, that escaped a Chinese laboratory. That's one of the things that's circulating. Let's let's talk about that briefly. Do you see any evidence that that might be the case? It, it comes down to what you believe, because um, there have been uh, a number of sort of maps and diagrams shown, which show that the sort of the two major outbreaks in China uh, are not very far from various biological weapons complexes, or at least that's what we're told. Now, some say, no, they aren't, and they aren't there. Um, this is always the problem, of course, in the conspiracy world. You will say one thing, the mainstream will say another. Uh, but certainly there are some people wondering what's happening. Some have even linked it with 5G, which, again, has been laughed at by the mainstream. Mm -hmm. uh, but there have been, uh, you know, there's been the introduction of 5G in some of these areas where there have been a lot of outbreaks. And some people think that 5G has a strange sort of um, propensity to, to make the body actually more vulnerable to viruses and some have wondered is that what's going on but of course you know we are told this is all fake news and that we shouldn't dare talk about this but inevitably the minute you say somebody shouldn't talk about it well people will and they have a right to consider all possibilities you know no no question about that thankfully people are willing to talk about it and consider these options and these ideas because once we turn a blind eye to it is when we lose all control um i keep hearing the word 
dry run being used. Maybe that's two words, dry run, um, as in the someone, maybe it's the Chinese, maybe it's something else, is testing how quickly and, and effectively a virus can spread around the world. This isn't necessarily the weapons-grade virus, but this may be just, quote-unquote, the dry run. What do you think of that? Yep, that's certainly some people are worried about. Um, or there's another way of looking at it, which is that this is sort of like the, the the first step in something that will weaken people's immune system to something that might then follow. Now, we're not allowed to talk about this, of course, anymore, but some are worried that eventually a vaccine will be introduced, but that in itself will be harmful, but we'll all want it, we'll all have to have it because we think it will be protecting us. Uh, but of course, I didn't say that because we're not allowed to. <laughs> talk about that anymore or we'll be taken off air but i'm just saying that these are some of the concerns uh, and absolutely people worry well is this just the first wave of something that as you say might be like a tester um i mean the only thing i would say right so just so we don't go too far down the, the road of, of horror here I do also remember people saying that about swine flu, bird yeah. flu, SARS, and so on. And, well, as far as we can see, that didn't turn out to be the case. And we do know you are going to get outbreaks of things from time to time. This is the way the world works. So I think it's too early to say for sure. But, you know, from our point of view, the things that we talk about, we have, of course, to consider the other viewpoints that the mainstream media won't. Uh, and that's our duty in a way. So, you know, we, we should consider all possibilities. And let's take one more look at this before we move on. Let's assume for a second this isn't necessarily the virus that is the weapon. Let's assume that control is the weapon and, and the virus is a tool by which governments around the world, at least some governments around the world, can exercise control. You mentioned martial law. You mentioned uh, governments are doing things in an unprecedented way and using this virus as an excuse. How likely is that scenario? Well, it does depend on, on where this goes. Uh, and I mean, certainly here, and I'm just speaking for the UK here, there is now talk that there might be the need for people not to go out to public places or go to work even in certain areas for around two months now that's a big shutdown if that were to happen they're not we're not there yet but you know that's what they're discussing or if that were to occur that would be pretty huge and that would need to be controlled in some way uh, there's been talk of uh, the army the military having to help with certain services if people were not to be available because they were what they're saying now self-isolating i.e not going out um so, you know, that we're beginning to see people saying, well, OK, the military are going to help out here and we're going to have to control this and there'll, there'll be new laws about this. And, of course, it's all sold as a way of protecting us. But some people fear that could be abused. And something else that's come up just in the last few days uh, in some countries, they're saying that they think that the virus could be spread by paper money or any money, mm. in fact. Now, of course, they're saying, well, you'd be much better, of course, if you only used your, your you know, cards, your plastic cards. And those that have long feared that we're heading towards a cashless society, which can be, of course, much more controlled by the authorities, think that this is going to be used as another doorway to that. So this could be a, another sort of aid to getting rid of the money in your pocket, which some people are very concerned about. A lot of hullabaloo over something that we keep being told is not as deadly as the flu. I, I, you know, we don't see these kind of reactions to flu. 
Um, so I guess we just have to keep an eye on it. Let's talk about you for a second. How did you get started in actually being interested in, in a very serious way, and then researching and writing about many of these conspiracy theories that we're going to talk about? Sure. I mean, I began very much with looking at the the more paranormal end of things, which is something I still have a fascination with. And I was interested in things like, you know, UFOs and crop circles, all the things that, again, they get laughed at. But I felt that there was something there. And we're talking now nearly 30 years ago. Uh, And what I became very quickly aware of is that whatever you believed about those things, whatever the truth, the media was lying. And I saw for myself uh, the crop circles especially just being completely misrepresented. And whether you think they're made by people or aliens or natural forces, that doesn't matter. What they were saying was not true. And I thought, well, hold on, if that's not true about something as seemingly harmless as a pattern in a field, what else are they not being truthful about? And of course, you know, when you begin to investigate one area, you meet other people who were also investigating other areas. And I came into contact with people that were sort of looking at the more classic, what we would say, conspiracy areas. And I realized, well, yeah, I have to be open to this because I've seen for myself the misrepresentation going on. So I got drawn in to look at, you know, all the other areas that in, in the book that I cover, the conspiracies book. And what I have found over the years is that the difficulty we have is making it understandable to people who are new to it. it it's very hard to make it accessible. It can sometimes feel overwhelming. So I found myself sort of falling into the role over the years of trying to make this material accessible to people, to make it understandable and to show people why it really matters that we do talk about conspiracies. Because, you know, throughout the 30 years uh, that I've been doing this, absolutely you can demonstrate we are simply not told the truth about what's going on in the world. And you and I, we we know this, but many people are still new to them. That's a shock to be told that. And you have to be quite sort of tender in the way you break that news to people so that's sort of the path that i've taken and uh, here we are today you know trying to look at many different aspects and not only are we not being the, told the truth of, about many things but when you start to question those things you're called a conspiracy nut you're called a conspiracy wacko uh, you know whatever the words are or you're called fake news the idea that we can't even discuss these things and have an open dialogue about them is probably more frightening than the th- conspiracies themselves Yeah, I mean, the the really serious issue that we now have is especially online censorship. Uh, If anybody goes to my website, uh, which is truthagenda.org, just check out the videos there. And there's a talk that I gave last summer about online censorship. And I am still worried about how few people seem to realize that this is now really happening. So videos are vanishing off of YouTube. Stuff's vanishing out of search engines. People are being deplatformed for daring to talk about things that the mainstream has declared we shouldn't talk about. And this isn't you know, something that we should take lightly. Uh, Many people now are finding that it is very difficult to get any information out there about certain areas. 
And it would seem that the plan is to remove this from public view so that in a few generations' time, you know, the people coming through who seem to be being bred to be ever more conformist at the moment, they will never find this material. They will never know that it was even there. And the hope will be we'll wind up living in a sort of brave new world, sort of a state of being in a dystopia where the truth is completely buried. But people won't even know it's buried because they won't know what they're missing anymore. And I think, therefore, the onus is on the people in the truth world, in the conspiracies research world, to keep this information alive while we can so that it's ready for when the pendulum swings back and people decide they do want to talk about this again, which I'm sure will happen. But at the moment, there is an absolute program to bury this stuff, and I am very concerned about that. Yeah, it's it's worthy of great concern for sure. And we'll get back to, and talk, to about, talk about online censorship in a little more detail in our conversation here. But I want to go back to your personal experiences. You've had some paranormal experiences in your life that have increased your uh, curiosity and kind of pushed you further down this road. Tell us about some of those experiences. I mean, when I was out in uh, in the fields doing sort of very active crop circle research, um, of course, UFOs, strange lights in the sky, you know, they are often seen in association with the appearance of these shapes. Now, whatever these lights are, they are there. And for instance, now I was present with uh, two friends one night overlooking uh, a series of fields which have had many crop circles over the years. And we watched three like strange glowing green spheres of light flying across the fields. Now, we can't say to this day what they were, but I witnessed that. We could not find any easy explanation. And in fact, that very same week, we also, uh, in a different part of that landscape, saw these strange, very large, dark shapes flying around the sky. And um, when I say large, I mean huge. Uh, there was no sound. They were flickering very, very quickly back and forth across the sky. Now, we all saw this, so we, we know we weren't going mad. Um, and, you know, whatever it was we saw made me aware, and then talking to other people who have seen other things, that there's a whole other world out there that we just simply don't hear about. Uh, and I'm lucky because I give a lot of lectures, often to mainstream groups as well as alternative groups. And I meet so many people with similar encounters, They've seen UFOs. They've had incredible ghost encounters that they simply cannot explain. And the traditional response is, well, they're mad, they're hallucinating, they're seeing things. And I truly don't believe that that is the case in many cases, because some of this is, you know, these very sensible, normal people. Sometimes I've met people where there was more than one person present, so they all saw the same thing. And that includes ghosts, by the way. Uh, and you realise this is something that we are simply discouraged from discussing. And you know, therefore it goes into the same box as the whole conspiracy angle, because because it's one more thing that is hidden away. But I've realized just from my own personal encounters with all these fascinating people that, yeah, there's a world there that we do not understand. And you can brand it paranormal, the supernatural, call it whatever you will. It will ultimately, of course, have a scientific explanation. But at the moment, we, we don't have that explanation. And rather than say, well, therefore, it can't exist, let's be sensible and address it and try to find ways to understand it. Because it's clear to me uh, the world is full of these things. And I've had other encounters. I've heard ghostly sounds uh, in buildings where we know nobody else was there, uh, you know. 
Uh, but this is normal. This is not an unusual thing. And I would say, and okay, I'm making this up off the top of my head, but roughly, I would say one in 10 people of the people that I meet has seen either a ghost or a UFO. And that's an awful lot of the world's population. And we shouldn't laugh at them. Yeah, that is a lot of people. I want to touch on that subject for just a minute. When I say that subject, I mean crop circles, because that kind of started your interest and fueled all of this for you. What are your thoughts on crop circles? And uh, do you have any, uh, I guess, explanation for their appearance? And should we continue to assume these are uh, extraterrestrial or alien in nature? Well, the official view is they're all made by people, and certainly some are made by people. Nobody denies that at all. How many comes down really to what you believe, but it also has to come down to evidence. And all you can show from actual evidence is that some are man-made, but then you have others that display qualities which are very hard to explain that way. I mean, you've got biological anomalies which have been detected in many of these plants, which you don't get from manually crushing down the plants. Right. You know, there have been chemical imbalances in the soil. So you've got that side of it, the forensic side. And the way the crop is laid, there's a, a quality of layering and weaving to many of these things. So, so you've got that side of it. But then you've got the other side. You've got the eyewitnesses. Now, I've interviewed over the years a number of eyewitnesses, people who have watched crop circles appearing literally in front of their eyes within seconds. Now, I believe these people because you can normally tell when somebody's lying. You know, you get a feeling these people are just, you know, very mundanely reporting something that occurred to them. And, you know, this is something that's convinced me absolutely that some are not man-made, which means you then have to say, OK, well, where do they come from? The extraterrestrial theory is certainly one, and, and we cannot be close to that. There's a big universe out there. You know, there's no way that there could be nothing else out there that simply to me would make no sense but if we then acknowledge there could be something else out there then we have to be ready for the fact that it could be here it could be interacting and some have argued the shapes are kind of like an acclimatization process they're drawing us in just to get used to the idea that there might be something else out there and then they evolve the patterns and we get more drawn in and therefore when the big grand revelation comes one day that's the theory that we'll be more ready for it so it can't be ruled out we know strange lights aerial phenomena without any question is a part of this so, you, so you've got that side but there is a link with underground water if you map out where the majority of crop circles occur they do seem to occur on what are known as aquifers so that's any rock that carries lots of water and that is very definitely true here in the uk and yet there's plenty of areas outside of that full of fields they're not getting crop circles if it's all a big hoax you could make them anywhere it doesn't work like that so when you look at chaos theory and fractals and you look at the science of cymatics these are all processes that can actually create very complex patterns from purely natural processes so it may well be that some at least are also natural or have a natural component to them appearing through some mechanism which we don't yet understand but others believe psychic forces are involved others believe extra dimensional forces are involved you know i mean the list of theories is endless but to me i think we do have to be open to all of them because at the moment we, we do not have one clear answer and for all the debunking and there's a lot of that out there um, actually it's 
very, very hard just to write it all off when you stand back and look at the overall evidence. You've written extensively about crop circles, but you've also written about conspiracies. And a couple of your books that focus on conspiracies are The Truth Agenda and, and the one that you've just updated, too, uh, Conspiracies, the Facts, the Theories, the Evidence. Which of the conspiracies, when you, know, there's a, when you use that word, there's a lot of ground that you cover. But obviously you had uh, an interest in some specific ideas and thoughts that you chose to wrote about, write about. What did you start with? So, I mean, one of the things that's very important to convey to people, of course, is that there is a pattern of believing in conspiracies and there is a pattern of conspiracies full stop. Because this is the problem we have, is that people will often say, well, you know, conspiracy theories, that they only began with the internet. Well, you can absolutely prove that's not true. Right. And in the in the book, Conspiracies, you, you know, I trace the history of this. And you can go right back to the Roman Empire, and you will find there was a very similar lack of faith in our leaders. Everybody knew they were lied to. They knew that there were conspiracies and plots and assassinations going on literally all the time. Uh, and therefore, there was a cynicism even back then towards their leaders. So this notion that this has only begun since, say, Watergate and then the Internet, that's just completely untrue. And you will find any period you choose to visit in history, it's full of conspiracy theories. So the number one point of the book is to say, well, here are the patterns, and many of these are proven conspiracies. There might be unanswered questions around them, but we know they were, say, like the gunpowder plot, where you know there was an attempt to blow up King James I here in the UK. Um, and you realise, well, therefore, if that was going on back then, why should we ever think that it couldn't go on now? And clearly it does go on now. So you, you then go on in the book to trace, you know, of course, some classic theories from everything to do with Kennedy, of course, Watergate, Princess Diana, 9-11 and the moon landings, all things that often get ridiculed and sidelined uh, in the mainstream media. But you look at the evidence surrounding them and you realise there are cases to be made here that we absolutely have not been told the whole truth about these events. And because of that, of course, they invite conspiracy speculation. Why wouldn't they? So what I'm trying to do is to put all of this together in a kind of an accessible way to show the patterns, to show the threads linking them. And of course now, especially with the new edition, which you know expands a lot from the old one and adds in a lot of recent material, because this is going on all the time, hopefully people will come out of this with a true understanding of why we do need to talk about this. And it isn't all just fake news. This is crucial stuff, because the kinds of minds that would pull the wool over our eyes about very serious events, are still in control of a lot of the world. And we need to be aware of this so that, at the very least, we can protect ourselves from their worst excesses. In your work, uh, you, you mentioned just now, uh, talking about conspiracies in general, you mentioned some specific ones. In your work, do you research in each of these individual specific conspiracies that you write about? Or do you just uh, talk about the nature of conspiracies and, and use those as examples? Well, no, I go into great detail. I mean, one of the things that I think you need to do when you address any conspiracy is you need to look at the detail. This is one of the problems we have is that when you say, well, I believe the truth has not been told about this or this, people will then sort of say, oh, well, you know, well, it's just rumor. 
If you are informed, however, and if you've looked at every layer that you possibly can within reason, you will know that there is so much detail that most normal people, everyday folk, are simply not aware of because they haven't taken the time to look at it. Uh, and it's usually in the detail that you realise there is a case to be made. So in a book like this, of course, you cannot go into every single detail, but I try to highlight the key areas where absolutely there is evidence that usually, you know, is completely at odds with the official version of something. And, you know, so, you know, just to take three of the, the big examples, I do look into the moon landing theories, because whether you believe we did or didn't go to the moon, it's pretty clear that the evidence is not 100% reliable. 9-11, I won't go away, I'm afraid. I know some people get upset, but there are many grounds to doubt the official story, and I go into some of the detail on that to demonstrate why. And again, the death of Princess Diana, and that was a very big one here in Britain, of course. Uh, but there are so many anomalies surrounding her death, which allegedly was an accident, but of course many think that it was engineered to look like an accident. You need to give a certain level of the complexity to convey to people why there's a case. So the book does do that, and you will certainly come out of it, hopefully much better informed if you're new to it. But if you're not new to it, hopefully it will also have put it together in a coherent way that it will help you to share this with other people. Because I am very aware that people new to conspiracies, it, it all seems a little bit frightening. It seems a bit too much to take on board in one go. But there are ways you can convey this in a way where people will open to it and gradually come to realize for themselves that, OK, there's something here worth discussion. Tonight, we're talking with Andy Thomas, and we're talking about conspiracies. He's a truth and mysteries researcher and author. His website is truthagenda.org. Andy, tell us about the, the website, truthagenda.org. The name is obviously also a name of one of your books. So tell us about the title. That's right. Well, so The Truth Agenda was a book that uh, first came out 10 years ago uh, and has actually been updated several times since then and is still all too relevant. Um, that was a way of looking at not only the conspiracy angle, but also the paranormal angle and also consciousness research and seeing where all of that joins together. And so, you know, these uh, are areas of my work, you know, and in certain books like Conspiracies, I will follow one angle very definitely. But the website reflects all of the work that I do, that there's news there about what I'm doing, information on the books and a lot of videos. Uh, there's a lot of lectures that I've given over the years, which you can watch online there. You'll find them on YouTube as well, of course, but it, it gives you a quick instant access to it. Uh, and various interviews that I've done because, you know, one of the problems that we have is that, you know, there's a lot of information that needs to be conveyed. Uh, and, you know, finding it in one place is not always so easy. But yeah, if anybody goes to the website, you'll find, you know, there's a lot of stuff to read there and to watch and, and information about myself and, you know, upcoming talks and things like this. So yeah, it, it's a, a good sort of starting point to find out you know where this kind of material is being distributed let's talk a little bit about some of these specific conspiracy ideas uh, that you have researched and worked on and, and written about and if you would just kind of give us an overview of what the controversy is and maybe some of the evidence that supports the fact that the official version of events isn't necessarily the factual version of events. And let's start with the moon landings. This is something, as you mentioned, people get a little bit emotional when you start questioning things like 9-11 
or the moon landings. Um, and I'm sure the same is true in the UK when you when you do that about Princess Diana. But let's let's talk a little bit about the moon landings. The official event or version is we went to the moon uh, several times. Uh, men walked on the moon. What's the controversy with that? So, I mean, this is something, obviously, that, I mean, a lot of people around the world feel very emotionally attached to, because especially in the early 70s, we have Vietnam going on, and, you know, there were some not-so-good things, uh, and it felt like this was a balance to that. This was something mankind could do, and America went, as they say, for all mankind, and people felt very good about it. So, therefore, to suddenly have that challenge, I think that feels like a very deep affront to many people. And I do understand that. And I do need to stress here, I loved the Apollo landings. I mean, I was growing up and that was all going on and I was absolutely mesmerized by it. So it's not something that it's given me pleasure to have to question. But there is a lot of evidence that says that at least some of the evidence may not be reliable. Some would say none of it is reliable. And of course, the central accusation that's grown over the years is that you know this could have been staged as a hoax and the whole thing is basically filmed in a hangar somewhere or we did go to the moon but that for some reason either the photographic evidence wasn't showable or because of the x-rays and the radiation on the moon they couldn't make the films come out and they had to restage all or some of that material later when they got back to try to show the world that they had been now, this is where you get into the complexities of it. So you've got three bits of evidence that we went to the moon. You've got the astronauts, but they could be lying under threat or they could have been mind-controlled. We know, you know, MK Ultra and all of that. There are mind-controlled techniques out there. You can give people false memories. So, okay, you have to put that aside. Then you've got moon rock. There's moon material, which has been retrieved. But that's not necessarily evidence that people did that. Now, the Russians brought back some moon material using automated probes. So that's not absolute proof. So therefore, the main evidence that we have that we went is the visual record. And that's where, especially with today's photographic analysis techniques, it becomes problematic because people are now looking at these pictures saying, well, hold on a minute, that's not right. That lighting is wrong. The shadows are wrong. This detail in this picture is different to this one here, taken only a few seconds later. You've got bits of scenery in the background that seem to reappear in mutually exclusive shots. And then you look underneath the craft and there's no evidence of any blast or any soot displacement. And yet you then compare that to the videos, which when you see them landing, there's a lot of ejector, a lot of moon material comes up. And yet the still images on the ground don't seem to show it. So you start to see inconsistencies between the visual record. And there are inconsistencies in some of what the astronauts say. They contradict each other sometimes. Some say the stars were very bright on the missions in space. Others say they were disappointing. You couldn't really see them. So, you know, what are we dealing with here? So, the problem is that it's not immediately easy just to dismiss the doubts. We do know that NASA has faked a number of images, uh, or at least images have gone out there faked on their behalf, which they have not denied. I mean, a classic would be the image of Michael Collins spacewalking from one of the Gemini craft. Um, this is a you know widely distributed photograph. 
But then years later, somebody was going through the NASA image bank and discovered an image of Michael Collins in a test aeroplane. And it's very clearly the same picture. And they've cut around him and stuck him on black and reversed the image. <laughs> wow. Now, that's the problem. And there's another show, there's another classic shot showing uh, astronauts playing golf on the moon. It is not a real shot. It's a montage. And they've added in the golf ball. Um, there was no camera in the position where the picture was taken from. And they don't say it's a montage. They don't say it's fake. And therefore, they invite criticism because that's out there as a real shot, but it clearly isn't. So the trouble is, if they can do that two or three times, how do we know then they didn't do that two or 3,000 times? And that's the problem. I know the people that get upset say, you know, you're anti-scientific and you people, you just deny us. But that's not really fair because there are anomalies and there is evidence that NASA has not been straight with some of this. So therefore, you cannot rule out that they might not have been straight with all of it. And that, of course, is where the problems then grow. And the theory is they don't go away. And I think, you know, when we had the big 50th anniversary uh, uh, sort of celebrations of Apollo last year, uh, they took a lot of polls around the world and I mean, roughly half the world's population doesn't believe we went to the moon. So that's a lot of people. And, you know, we're told that's because of fake news. But I don't think that's fair. To me, it's because there are still issues which remain unaddressed. Um, and the arguments will go on, I'm afraid. And I, I'm going to just say that I, I believe we went. However, when you bring up these points, and there are others that uh, are brought up, you, you really have to look at those seriously because they do create a problem. And one of those is that's always bothered me is when there's talk of going back. Now, again, it was 50 years ago. Technology has, has uh, progressed so far in those 50 years. It's been a geometric progression and yet we're told we lost the technology to go. That's why we haven't gone back. What are your thoughts on that point? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the extraordinary things. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether they found them now, but a few years ago, NASA was saying they've lost all the blueprints. So that's why they had to go back to the drawing board. That simply makes no sense. And that's very hard to believe. But the fact that they keep delaying missions, manned missions, back to the moon because they keep saying that they're not sure yet that they can protect people well enough is very mysterious, given that they seem to go to the moon in these tin boxes that were pretty flimsy back in the 60s and it all seemed to be all right, apart from Apollo 13, which went wrong. And this is where you think, well, hold on. If it's suddenly so difficult to go to the moon now... What does that mean when 50 years ago it was apparently, you know, reasonably easy? And it does raise serious, serious questions. And radiation is one of the big problems. And you keep hearing this about the amount of shielding people are going to need. And you're talking like, you know, feet thick in some of these proposed craft. And you think, well, hold on a minute. You look at the original craft that they went to the moon in and it's really thin. And yet, there doesn't seem to be any more sort of increased sort of uh, cases of cancer amongst the astronauts than any other demographic. So how did they do that? So there are so many unanswered questions. Now, I know that we see aerial shots and the satellites have shown the sites and you can see dots and trails. Maybe that might even be real. But I think the problem is that until the day somebody lands right next to those sites and takes 
pretty much what should be the same pictures in the same lighting conditions and shows that it is the same. We are not going to resolve this because it may well be, as you say, that we did go, but those pictures are not real. But of course, then we learn that, in fact, they've now said that the landing sites were all heritage sites and nobody is allowed to go there now. Yeah. Well, that's that's very convenient, isn't it? I think somebody will sooner or later, but it's like, what have you got to hide? So I think you're right. You know, whichever way you look at this, whether you believe it went to the moon or not, unfortunately, there are massive holes in the evidence. Uh, and until they are resolved, yeah, they, people will doubt. And, of course, there's been talk that Stanley Kubrick was involved in filming these scenes of the moon landing and that he actually put clues in his other films to uh, point to the fact that he had done that. And The Shining is is one of the notorious ones. One other thing that comes to mind, and, and I don't know the details, but didn't NASA also claim they lost all the original footage? Uh, they did, yes. So they also said that they um, had lost the original videos. Yeah. And all, all they had were slightly cruder copies. Now, I think, if my if my understanding is right here, they did then say they found them again. Okay. Uh, and what's quite interesting, though, is with the 50th anniversary television programs and there were movies last year, there was quite a lot of evidence that they had actually spruced up that footage with CGI. Now, that's very interesting because certainly in some of the programs I saw, they were intercutting real footage with completely fake footage made today, okay, to try to tell the story better. But they didn't tell you which was which. <laughs> and it was almost as if the hope was, you know, any new generations that didn't see it first time round, they'll just take this all as genuine. Though they won't know the difference. And I personally thought that was a little bit naughty of them. I thought it, it was almost misleading people. And some of the shots, they are not. They're computer generated. But if you didn't know that, you might think it was real. And it's a good way of confusing any issues around that original footage. Tell us about the Princess Diana controversy. Um, you know, that was a day that even here in the United States, everything stopped when we heard that news of her death. Uh, what's the controversy surrounding this? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it would be the equivalent of, of Kennedy's death to to America, which, of course, was deeply shocking all around the world, but especially if you were an American. And that's how it was with Princess Diana. Um, she She was a controversial figure. Much loved, and yet also, I think, much resented by certain areas of the establishment. But when she split up with Prince Charles, she started to give these rather damning television interviews. And she was threatening to reveal sort of the truth about the dark forces. That was the, the phrase I think she used, running the country, and was kind of making sort of revelations or hinting at revelations about the royal family. So when then... The terrible car crash occurred in 1997 and she was killed. A lot of people over here, it just immediately in their stomach, it was like, oh, that's convenient. She, you know, she was making enemies. She was uh, campaigning very successfully against landmines, for instance, around the world. Uh, and yet, of course, she's going out at that stage with Dodie Al Fayed whose mother was from the Khashoggi family, and now they're major arms dealers. Now, a lot of people wondered, you know, did that family not want a peacenik at the dinner table? 
Uh, was she pregnant with Dodie's baby? That would have introduced, of course, a Muslim bloodline into the royal family. So there were a lot of concerns that perhaps there were people who would find her death very convenient. Now, all right, that doesn't mean anything. You know, that's just literally theory. But where then it becomes a little bit more disturbing is there are so many anomalies around the actual events which led to her death and which followed. And that's where it gets problematic. So the crash itself, we know that um, the driver was blamed. We're told that he was drunk. And yet there's almost no evidence that he was drunk. CCTV shows him sober. No witnesses said he was drunk. Um, and the toxicology report, which said that he was. We do know that they did mix up the blood sample with somebody else's. They've admitted that, but they then say, ah, but we did other tests, so, you know, he was definitely drunk. But if he was as drunk as they say he was, he shouldn't have been able to have even got out of bed that day, let alone driven a car and appeared normal to anybody. So, So that's one set of strange things. Then you've got the white Fiat, Now, we know that at some stage, we are told, a white Fiat was involved in the crash because it it left its paint on the black Mercedes, which Diana was in, uh, and then clearly sped away. So some have said, is this evidence of like a CIA-type assassination uh, technique, which we know does exist, where you basically run somebody off the edge of the road or, or indeed into the wall of a tunnel, which is what occurred here. So there was tales of a strange bright flash in the tunnel. Did somebody try and dazzle the driver? They never found the fear. Now, the French authorities say... The the CCTV, the cameras in that particular area of Paris were off that night. <laughs> now, that was very unusual, um, and that was very convenient. So they said they couldn't trace it, but then Mohammed Al-Fayed, now he used to own the shop Harrods in London, uh, and he was the father of Dodie, who had also died in this crash. Now, he, you know, he's an odd character, but he had a right to want to know more about the death of his son. And he hired private detectives. And they found a man called James Andanson, who did own a white Fiat that would have matched the paint. Uh, and although Andanson said it wasn't him, well, strange it was them that shortly after being identified, Andanson was found dead in another car with what looked like a bullet hole in his head, and the head had then been decapitated for good measure, and the car had been set light to from the outside, Uh, and yet the French authorities said this was suicide. (laughs) Now, (laughs) this is what we're dealing with, right? That's the level of denial. Nobody seemed to think there was anything strange about that. But anyway, so you've got that. You've also got the fact that Diana wrote letters to her butler and to her solicitor, clearly stating she believed there was a plot to kill her. And what she describes in her letters is pretty much what came to pass. So you've got all of this evidence and then, you know, tales of strange events on the night of her death where she was taken from the crash site to the hospital in Paris. And some French doctors have claimed that they thought she would make it. She was badly injured, yes, but that she would pull through. But then uh, British doctors showed up in the middle of the night and kind of ushered them all out and took over and said, well, thanks very much, you know, we'll sort it out now. Uh, And then shortly after announced that Diana was dead. And they felt something strange had occurred And it is said one of the doctors announced that he was going to write a book about what he saw that night and then soon after died in a strange car crash himself. That could just all be coincidence, of course, 
But you will understand why people are not convinced that it was. And in the book, you know, I, I try to put these sort of different events together in a coherent way, which at the very least shows that even if you don't say was Princess Diana murdered, which is a very sort of definite statement, but if you say instead, is there something very odd about her death, then you have to say yes. And I mean, in the collective gut, certainly of the British people, the huge majority of British people believe she was murdered. It doesn't matter what the inquest says. And that's very telling. I think when a population has a certain feeling in its stomach, there's often something real about that. And consciousness research would back that up, by the way, as I write about in the Truth Agenda book. So I think there is certainly uh, there's ground to doubt that we've ever been told anything like the real story. Uh, and, yeah, many people do believe she was effectively assassinated. One of the conspiracy ideas that you have researched and written about is not one that is one that I'm not familiar with. And probably most people in the United States might be somewhat unfamiliar with this. But I, I'm anxious to hear the story. Who was who was uh, Dr. David Kelly and what happened to him? Yeah, I mean, Dr. David Kelly is related in a way to the Diana case in as much as around the same amount of the British population believed that David Kelly was murdered. Now, this does matter. And why it matters is because in 2003, so George Bush and Tony Blair, George W. Bush, I should say, and Tony Blair, were, of course, taking action to invade Iraq on the basis that there were weapons of mass destruction being stored and set up there by Saddam Hussein. So that was the main grounds for going in. So Dr. David Kelly was a, a British UN weapons inspector, very respected, had a very good record. Now, he went to the BBC secretly and said, this weapons of mass destruction story is a lie. I can tell you there are no weapons of mass destruction there. Um, and that, of course, was very undermining to the case that Blair and Bush were making as to why we needed to go into Iraq. Uh, many people, once the, the BBC revealed this, many people thought that, you know, the whole war was taking place uh, on a false basis. And of course, as it turns out, well, as far as we can see, there were no weapons of mass destruction, certainly not of the kind that we were told. So Kelly was then vilified. Blair released his name to the press and so poor old Kelly was suddenly hauled before investigations and parliamentary committees uh, and was then exposed as a, well, or would they claim he was a fantasist, the man was a liar, he was a, a mole, all these terrible things about a man who until that day had been one of their most reliable staff, you know. And then he was found dead shortly after this in uh, woods near his home in Oxfordshire in Britain. And the problem with believing that it was suicide, which is what we are told it was, is that the medical records have never been released, which prove this. Now, we are told that he had slit his wrist and he had taken an overdose. And yet, the wound in his wrist was minimal. The knife we're told he used was a very blunt knife that couldn't have done the damage we're told. He had a difficulty sawing things anyway because he had a wrist issue. Um, the drugs in his system were minimal. There was minimal blood loss. And the body was provably moved from where it was originally found by the search parties who slumped against a tree to where it was then photographed by the police, suddenly laid out on the ground like as if it was a classic suicide with a knife and a bottle of water and so on. 
So a lot of people immediately felt that Kelly was murdered and that they tried to make it look like suicide. And he was murdered because, of course, this was hugely exposing of the reasons why this war was now taking place. And even uh, British MPs, there's a, a well-known, was a well-known uh, British MP, he's not an MP now, called Norman Baker. And he wrote a book, which I recommend, by the way, called The Strange Death of David Kelly. And it effectively proves that his death was murder. And that's actually what most British people think. And the trouble is, this follows a pattern of people around the world that seem to die in strange circumstances when they're very embarrassing to authorities. Uh, and inevitably, you will get conspiracy theories. And then, just to end this, really, about two years ago, there was a new investigation being demanded because they said it's not good enough that you haven't released the medical records that absolutely prove this was suicide. So people were campaigning to, you know, to look at Kelly's body again, to dig him up, basically, and have a new investigation. Well, the response of the authorities and the family to that was to dig up David Kelly's body and cremate him. <laughs> and they did it in the middle of the night, so nobody knew they were going to do it. And so they've now destroyed all the evidence. And then they wonder why they get conspiracy theorists. I mean, they really are asking for it. So, you know, that's something else covered in the book. Because as you say, this is not something that everybody around the world is familiar with, but they should be. Because this is typical, unfortunately, of the way things often go. Uh, and it's worth people understanding more about that story, because I am sure most countries will find similar cases. And we had in Malta recently the journalist who was murdered uh, it would seem on the orders of the government, though they deny it, of course. Uh, and I am sure this goes on in most countries around the world. So are these people that are committing these acts, and we're talking about the murder of David Kelly, or we're talking about the uh, hoax that could be the moon landings, are they just bad at covering their tracks when they perpetrate these things, if they in fact are? Or, or do they feel they're so powerful it doesn't matter? I think it's a bit of both. Uh, I mean, I think if you take the David Kelly affair, um, it, 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 I, I think the fact that most people didn't believe the official story was evidence of them not doing that good a case. But as you say, you know, uh, they felt powerful enough that nobody was going to be able to challenge them. And indeed, that's kind of where it's hanging now. Most people are suspicious, but you can't fully prove anything. So the world moves on. Uh, which is a bit similar to the Kennedy assassination. You know, the majority of people feel it was a wider conspiracy, but the hope is, I would imagine, in the establishment that we'll all move on as we pretty much have and it'll never be properly resolved. Um, but then, with something like the moon landings, I think you've got something slightly different. I think back in the early 70s, Nobody ever thought that the kind of analysis techniques that we now have on an average computer today would ever exist. And I don't think people thought that anybody would ever doubt a story so big as that. Whereas, of course, now we live in an age of much greater cynicism. And I doubt that that was anticipated. Now, there are other people that would disagree with that and say that actually some of the people perpetrating the lunar hoax or in that hypothesis 
actually deliberately left whistleblowing clues. They left ridiculous anomalies in some of the images so that they would be discovered later on. So that's another theory that actually there were sort of inconsistencies woven into that evidence in the hope that one day it would get exposed. So there is that other side to it. But I also think that there was a certain amount of hubris, as is, I think, the case with 9-11, that nobody would ever doubt anything this big. And, you know, I think perhaps they miscalculated, certainly with 9-11, I think they miscalculated how many people would start to scrutinise the footage of, you know, the terror that day and all the events and look at the detail. And I think they've been caught out on that. And I think anybody trying to perpetrate something on that scale again would have to think very, very carefully. And, of course, that's why in the years since now everything's muddied. We're told that any conspiracy view is fake news and so on and so forth. But, yeah, I think that authorities sometimes suffer from hubris and feel that they are untouchable, um, which, you know, in a way they are, I suppose, given that nobody's ever been held to account properly for this. But then the fact that so many people do doubt official stories, on the other hand, is evidence in the other direction, that ultimately they lose because we don't trust them. But as I say in the conspiracies book, this isn't new. It's just that you kind of hope the world would be better by now. But sadly, Andy, we talked about a bunch that I know you've looked into. Uh, There are a couple I'm not sure, so I hate to put you on the spot, but just out of curiosity, did you look at all into the JFK Jr. death? I mean, there again, I mean, that's a fascinating area, isn't it? I mean, the Kennedy story is much bigger than just the assassination. And I'm not saying that all of this was in any way coordinated, but, you know, the curse of the Kennedys, it is a bit of a tragic roll call. So, I mean, let's go back to the beginning. So Kennedy's uh, elder brother, Joe Kennedy, he died when his plane exploded in the war, seemingly through an accident, uh, which, by the way, sort of very much helped to thrust John Kennedy into the political world because hitherto he was really heading into journalism. But after that, uh, Joseph Kennedy, his father, he sort of elevated him back into the, the politics world. So, so that death changed uh, JFK's life. But he also lost a, a younger sister in a plane crash. Um, you know, which is another tragedy. Of course, his own brother, Robert, was then shot dead, as JFK was. He was shot dead in 1968, Robert Kennedy. Uh, and then you get the Edward Kennedy scandal, and a woman drowns in his car, and that's something else. Um Kennedy, I mean, Jackie Kennedy, she gave birth to a stillborn child, which was very tragic. And then another baby they had died two days after it was born. So, you know, there's a horrible sort of long list of awful things. But then, yes, uh, John F. Kennedy's uh, son, uh, as they called him, John John Kennedy, uh, he died in a plane crash with his wife. Um, you know, many years after Kennedy died, of course. And a lot of people have wondered, was that an attempt to stop any resurrection of the the Kennedy line, if you like? Uh, I mean, you know, it's argued about what John John's ambitions were politically, but certainly, you know, a lot of people felt that Kennedy represented some kind of uh, liberal view that was not what the establishment wanted in 1963, which is why he had to go. And that's why they had to get rid of Robert Kennedy as well, 
because he had just announced that he was going to sort of uh, try to run for president. Uh, and who knows, maybe that was the case with John John. I mean, the evidence is less clear about that crash. I mean, we're told it was an accident. He was piloting the plane himself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, inevitably, there have been some claims that, that the plane was sabotaged or, you know, brought down in some way. It's one of these things, I think, without clear, absolute clear witness evidence, we are not going to know for sure. But it certainly does fit a pattern which, um, you know, the Kennedys sadly have suffered from for a very long time. One other political controversy I'll ask you about is the Clintons have been uh, associated with a lot of death and suicide explanations. Um, Anything that you've seen there that piques your interest? Uh, there was. I don't know if it's still up there. I hope it is. There was a web page called the the Arkansas Southern Death Syndrome, <laughs> and it lists. Yeah, it lists. I mean, over fifty people. That it claims. Right. I'm just saying what they say. That it claims are suspicious deaths from people who've either worked with the Clintons or have tried to investigate the Clintons. Now. That's not to say, of course, that the Clintons had anything to do with it, right, before we joined that list. Um, But it might well be somebody doesn't like the people around them much, because there does seem to be this long roll call of people who've died in mysterious ways. I mean, one of the people on that list, if it is accurate, allegedly drank himself to death on domestic mouthwash, you know. Um, just strange, hmm. weird things. But, I mean, this is not exclusive to that story. I mean, briefly, to go back to Kennedy, quite a few of the witnesses uh, around the, the events surrounding Kennedy's shooting uh, died in mysterious kind of strange deaths or early deaths. Uh, some of the witnesses around 9-11 have also died early or, you know, in ways which it just kind of seems above the law of averages and many again fear that witnesses are being taken out there so yeah and i mean we've had claims also in the last uh, two or three years that people who are investigating alternative medicine uh, or who in any way question vaccination or any of that they are dying in mysterious circumstances now i have to tell you that's denied Places like Snopes.com, of course, they know it's all rubbish, but others aren't so sure. And they do believe that, again, certain people who are being very awkward to the authorities uh, are being taken out. Uh, And look at it this way. When you look back through history, you could not say that could not ever happen. And that's the problem. Let's talk about your book in the time we have left. Conspiracies, the facts, the theories, the evidence. It's new and it's updated. Why new and updated? What did you need to change and what did you need need to add? So, I mean, the world has changed enormously in the seven years since the original version came out. And, I mean, so all the classic material is still in there. But since we've had Donald Trump who, of course, is the purveyor of certain conspiracy ideas. He's also the target of many of them. And one thing I do find really fascinating and slightly amusing is that the mainstream media, which says it doesn't believe in conspiracy theories, when it comes to Donald Trump, it believes all of them. You know, <laughs> it's about Trump, it believes them, which I find really interesting. So I try to take a very balanced view on Donald Trump, you know, because I'm aware a lot of people think the guy's marvellous. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not looking at that aspect. I'm looking at the conspiracy angle. He was one of the first people to go public and say that he thought that bombs were present in the World Trade Center, by the way. That clip's still on YouTube, if you know where to find it. And that was filmed just a few days later. And we 
we know that he's had various kind of conspiratorial views, but at the same time, he's also hired people that seem to, you know, actually go against that idea. Like sort of uh, with 9-11, of course, there are certain individuals who some people were concerned hadn't told the whole truth at, at the time who actually uh, Donald Trump has hired to join his team. So that's worried some people who were hoping for some disclosure. But of course, the other massive thing that's happened in the last few years is the whole fake news, post-truth world, or at least the announcement of this like it's a new thing, which of course it isn't. But And that's enabled the authorities to legitimately, in their eyes, shut down anything which questions the status quo. And I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, this is a really serious issue. And I've brought that very much into the book because I think we need to be so aware that the online world now, which opened up so many crucial discussions, it is being shut down. It's like the genie came out of the bottle with the internet, but now they found a way to put it back in. And because all they have to do is brand something now, fake news, and they can take it away. And this is happening so rapidly, especially to do anything to do with alternative medicine, anything to do with, you know, things like climate change, even or 9-11. It is all beginning to get hard to find. And that seems to be a, a road to basically creating a world where you are not allowed to question official views on things. So, so that's gone into the book. Plus, we've had Edward Snowden. Snowden's massive revelations that we're all under mass electronic surveillance. What I find incredible is people have already kind of just shrugged and went, oh, all right. But that was crucial. What he revealed should have been more shocking than it was. But we've now got used to it. And we just accept mass electronic surveillance now as a part of everyday life. But we shouldn't. There's the QAnon movement, of course, also. You know, the claim of a deep state mole in the, the American uh, deeper levels of government there who claim that there is a New World Order plot. And the New World Order is discussed in a whole chapter, of course, in conspiracies. But there is a plot to take over the world. And interestingly, they say the New World Order wants to bring Trump down because he's not playing their game. Now, that, of course, plays into a number of different people's agendas there. Uh, and some some people use that to, you know, say it's a good thing and others say it's a bad thing because if you then are anti-New World Order, you must be pro-Trump, which, of course, isn't necessarily the case. But, yes, yeah, so all of these things, you know, we've got crisis actors, claims that terror attacks are, are being completely staged. Well, that's something that's very much come into conspiracy consciousness just in the last few years. So, so I discussed that as well. So, yeah, a lot's changed in the world. And I wanted to kind of, you know, rework the book. Uh, I've restructured the book slightly and show people where what is going on now directly relates to some of the other stuff that we call classic conspiracy. But that doesn't mean just because it's called classic that it's good or acceptable. No, it isn't. You know, all of these things are deceptions. All of these things are where the public has in some way uh, been given false leads and thrown off the scent, and all of it is used to control us. And, you know, that's a big thing that comes out of the book, Conspiracies, which is there is a control agenda, and the, the misuse of information absolutely is used to crush us down and make us fearful. And when we're afraid, we give in to more controls. And we need to be really aware of that going on around us so that at least we can become sort of a little bit less prone to falling into the traps which are set for us. So all of that's now in the book. And, uh, you know, it's 
all in the hope that people will go away and discuss this and to keep this information alive because we need to do it now while we still can. We have uh, been a bit of a victim of this as well on this program here. In addition to being on terrestrial radio and having a podcast version of this program, we also have a YouTube version of the program. And very shortly after we started doing that, uh, we got a notice, and I think the notice went to everybody, but the timing was a little strange just because we had just started doing our show on YouTube. But we got a notice that uh, YouTube sent to everybody saying that certain topics were going to be removed from, and I don't remember exactly how they worded it, but removed from um, search results. Uh, One of those topics that I remember very specifically was flat earth discussions. Another one, um, I think, was moon landing hoax discussions. There were several of them that that they specifically pointed out that were going to be, if not completely removed from search results, they were going to be greatly reduced in search results. And um, I mean, I I, I just find that unbelievable that they would do that. And this is part of what you're talking about, isn't it? I mean, the extraordinary thing is that they're not even hiding it. They've been up front. Yeah. Uh, I can't deny that. They've stated, yeah, we are not going to cover this, this, and this. And you've just given some of the instances there. And that's the terrible thing, that this is in plain sight. But what what are they saying there? Why shouldn't people discuss this? What we have basically had told to us now is there is an orthodoxy. There is an orthodoxy on the moon landings. You will not question it. You will not be allowed to discuss it. I know I don't personally go down flat earth theory grounds, right? That's not my personal view. But equally, I don't think that you should ban anybody from discussing it. If that's somebody's view, let's hear it out. Let's hear what the evidence is. But no, can't discuss that. Vaccinations? Oh, no, you're going to wind up in prison soon if you question that. Uh, And that's now getting very serious. So all of that's being removed. If they're not actively removing it, what they're doing is they're being very clever. In the recommendations down the side of YouTube, they're no longer recommending other things that are like what you're watching. They're adding in a lot of mainstream stuff or stuff which debunks what you're watching, which they claim is balanced. But, of course, you know that in the long run that the material that we're talking about here today will will just vanish. That's clearly the, the... the long-term aim. But I would say this, that is not, I think, going to make it just go away. Pushing something under the carpet doesn't make it go away. What you would do is you will find the people pushed under the carpet are going to have to try to shout ever louder and get ever more extreme in their attempts to get this stuff heard. And surely that isn't a wise world, because then you do get more extremism. To me, you should allow sensible conversations, not hate speech, There is a definite line into hate speech, but sensible conversations, reasonable dialogue about things, allow it. Shine the light on these topics. Let's see the truth. The truth will out one way or the other. But what they're doing at the moment is just trying to take it away from people and deny people conversations. And the next big thing coming up, I would imagine, is anybody that questions climate change. I mean, already Mm -hmm. it's got to the point where if you say one thing that questions it, you know, you get very black looks or people... People come down on you in a conversation like a ton of bricks, yeah. like like you you've just spoken for the devil, you know. And you say, no, no, I, I'm not, I'm not a climatologist. All I'm saying is, I want to hear both sides. But no, 
you can now only hear one side. So that's not a good road to take. Um, we've got to roll back from this, or at least, you know, if the mainstream isn't, we've got to keep these conversations alive. But I do worry that we're heading for a world where soon the companies being threatened by the establishment will decide they're not even going to host a website which covers this material. So let alone it not appearing on a platform like YouTube or Facebook or whatever, that they might not even host your website. And then we're going to be back to printing pamphlets and we're going to be back to the 1600s and handing them out in the streets. That's the way it's going to go if this isn't stopped. Uh, and it's something of great concern that, that I really hope more people will wake up and try and combat this and, and do something about it now while they can. And I happen to be in agreement with you on the flat earth discussion. I don't subscribe to that theory, but I think those that have concerns or ideas about it should be able to present their side. I don't understand what benefit it is for YouTube or Facebook to block this material. Uh, is it a case of them being coerced? Is it a case of them being complicit? Are they part of a greater agenda in some fashion? These are private companies and they're, I mean, it seems to me they would only be interested in more eyeballs and uh, I don't I don't understand what their motivation is. I think it is a mixture of all those things. I mean, one of the big problems is that in the last couple of years, you know, various governments around the world have declared that these platforms like social media, like YouTube or whatever, are actually publishers. They're not just the, the medium which other people are using, that if certain material appears there, that they are legally responsible for it. Now, what that's done, of course, is make these companies terrified of having anything on there where they could get or action could be taken against them. You know, we've already seen this, especially with Facebook. And I'm not saying there aren't certain topics that should be policed. You don't want murderers and terrorists using it to get a lot of publicity. But there's a fine line there. And at the moment, it's almost like these companies are saying, oh, my God, we cannot do anything controversial at all. Take it off. Demonetize it. And if you won't allow people to, say, make advertising revenue from it, you're making it hard to make some of these programs. And that's another issue, because the advertisers, they're saying, we don't want our material associated with this kind of thing, with people questioning 9-11 or questioning the moon landings or whatever. So that then makes it hard for companies like YouTube. They've got to police all of this. So what they've done is just with a broad stroke is they're saying, right, that's it. You either can't run this stuff or, you know, you can't make any money from it. But either way, it all has the effect of treading it down. But I do also think, of course, there are agendas. We know there are people in government, especially in America, where we've had people very openly saying, we want this stuff gone. You should not be allowed to question things like 9-11. These should be criminal acts. It's unpatriotic and all of this. So we do know there are people that have actively said that it should be removed. So I would imagine it's all these forces working together and a general journalistic kind of cynicism. Journalists, I don't know what it is. They just seem generally biased against the alternative, against anybody that talks about conspiracies, which I find very strange because certain things they expose, but then other things they won't even look at, even when the evidence is very convincing. But that's So that's where it's got. And so I think a combination of all of this means that all the mainstream outlets are policing us now and saying that your view is a heresy. But that's the trouble. You know, the day you declare orthodoxy, which is what they're now doing on all these subjects, you create heretics. And when you create heretics, in the end, you start burning them. 
hopefully only metaphorically, but at the moment it's not good. And just to condemn people that want to have sensible conversations about things as dangerous people, as stupid people, and all the usual things we're now hearing is really not fair uh, and is a kind of a brainwashing of the masses. But I do hope the pendulum will swing and a time will come when people will realise, hang on a minute, though, wasn't there a few years ago discussions about this, this and this? And I seem to remember this, this information being available. Where's it gone? And hopefully, if we've kept it alive and kept the archives of all this information there ready to be rediscovered at the crucial time, it will come back. I don't think you can cover the truth up forever. I have uh, grave concerns about the state of media, particularly in the United States. And uh, one of the buzz phrases that you've used in in your descriptions as media misrepresentations, and it's easy to point to them from political perspective but it's not just political it, you know it 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 spans many things and many of the ideas we're talking about how it, how deep does this problem go because it seems to be getting deeper and deeper and i can't personally watch the news anymore without having some issue with the way they're presenting information to me because it seems like everything is agenda driven Yes, I do know the feeling. Uh, I, I do think it is. I mean, I think one of the issues we have is that, I mean, the mainstream media especially is often run by very young people. I mean, uh, when you, you know, I've done interviews with mainstream TV companies and that, um, and they're often, you know, in their 20s, these people. Right. So they they are people who are coming through being bred in a system which is giving them, and this is a very broad stroke here, but kind of more left-wing views. They are more collectivist in their outlook. Um, they're very sensitive to anything that might upset somebody. They believe that if you express an opinion that upsets somebody, you somehow infringe that other person's rights. Um, but... They are the people that, of course, are, are driving the media. So I think you've got that aspect to it, and they are presenting news in a way that maybe feels natural and normal to them. But people from the previous generations are thinking, hang on a minute, you know, what happened to the ability to be able to express certain ideas and, and have a, a vigorous, sensible debate about it? But now, if you express anything, you know, whether it be about class, race, gender, whatever, that might upset somebody, even though what you have said is not in any way illegal, it's not hate speech, what's happening is they're getting into a habit now of blocking that, of saying, no, you can't upset anybody. And so, therefore, any material which sort of falls into that category is gradually removed. And the slant that you get from the news which is presented to you, of course, then, is taking you down another road where free speech is not really the agenda. It's The agenda is to have things that doesn't offend anybody and won't upset anybody, or at least not from their kind of way of thinking. So, yeah, no, this is an issue. I think anybody knows if you try and discuss certain topics now, it's getting very difficult, um, even just in social situations, never mind online. And the problem with that is that in the end, you, you don't solve the issues. You don't make resentment go away if somebody feels that they can no longer express a concern that they have, you know. But that's what's happening. And now, the minute you express something which is seen as controversial, um, say online, of course, all the people that feel offended or hurt, they troll you, they come right down on you, yeah. and you're savagely attacked. And if you're not ready for that, if you're not... 
you know, strong enough to withstand that, it's almost like you're completely destroyed. But they do that knowing that people will in the end shut up, that if you fear the trolling, if you fear the attacks, you'll be silenced. And of course, many do. And that's a very sad state of affairs. That is not the way the world should be. But yeah, so I, if I understand you right, I think, yes, I do see this going on around us. Again, I think it's a cycle, though. And I'm not sure how long you can go on like this for. Uh, we shall see. But but certainly at the moment, yeah, you know, you know that an agenda of one kind is being fed to you when you watch the news, and and it shouldn't feel like that. That that is not free speech. So, I guess my follow up question to that would be: Can democracy survive? Can our Western, what we would call Western principles, survive when we have? Uh, an agenda-driven media. It seems as though the media's role for a very long time was and should have been um, the watchdog and kind of the moral compass for not just politics but for everything. And now it doesn't seem to be that. It seems to be part of the problem, not the not the solution. I mean, if you look at the world and you look at sort of the uh, systems of government that are now becoming more influential, uh, the sad truth is democracy is currently on the back foot. I think authoritarianism is spreading much faster than democracy. Uh, and, and maybe the problem is that we've allowed democracy to fall into disrepute. I mean, so here in, in Britain, we've just come out of a period of three years of arguing as to whether or not we should leave the European Union. And it, it brought Parliament into disrepute, the endless arguing now. We finally have a government that had a lot of votes, so we have left the European Union. So we've kind of moved on a bit from that. But nonetheless, you know, it's left a lot of damage. And many people felt the democratic process didn't really work as well as it should have done because a vote was taken three years ago to leave the EU. And then many people in Parliament tried to block that. Now, that, that to many people was an affront to democracy and sadly has put some people off voting. Now, I mean, this is, I find is a very strange thing. You know, we all know the voting systems are not 100% reliable. We know that our democratic systems, they, they are still prone to corruption. But I would say that despite that, and despite we know many reforms that, you know, that we need to come in still, it's better than no democracy. That's how I feel about it. And people that tell me that they're very concerned about the state of the world, but they don't show up and vote that doesn't really help because to me, if you don't show up and vote, you're not even using the tiny little bit of power you've got. And I understand. I understand why some people might not on one level, but you have to show the powers that be that you do care, that you don't want to live in an authoritarian system. And, you know, you look at a country like China, I mean, they've now created a huge surveillance state, you know, and sadly, many Western companies have helped them to set this up. And what you worry about is, well, is that just going to basically come over here in the end as well? And uh, I mean, we've seen in China recently some of the, the less good side of that, which might might make them look at it again, like the spread of the virus that we were speaking about earlier on. Uh, they think it was worse because they tried to cover it up and uh, online, you know, certain keywords that mention virus or anything like that, you know, all those emails or texts got deleted or altered so that the news didn't travel. And then suddenly they had a crisis on their hands, wherever you think this virus came from. So, you know, even some of the Chinese people apparently are now saying, hang on a minute, maybe this system doesn't work. So, you know, 
I think all systems at the moment are under the microscope, but I would rather have something that was at least reasonably democratic than not democratic at all. And we need to support these systems and find ways to reform them if we're not happy with them, rather than just stepping out of it and then just shouting from the outside. If you're not going to come up with something better, then, then you're not going to serve the, the function. You, I think you've got to get involved and try and change it. And I say that knowing it's a long road ahead. But, yeah, there's a lot of disillusionment at the moment with our systems and governments. Uh, and it's a real shame. But they've allowed that to happen, I'm afraid. One of my favorite quotes is from Winston Churchill, and I probably will butcher it, but it's something along the lines of democracy is the worst form of government, except all the others. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that quote. Um, Andy, we're out of time. This has been a fascinating discussion, absolutely enlightening, informative, and and interesting, and it certainly piques my curiosity. Once again, let people know where they can find your work and, and keep track of what you're up to. Sure. So if you want to read the book, it's out in the States, it's out in Britain, it's out in Australia, and uh, it's called Conspiracies, The Facts, the Theories, the Evidence. You'll find it on Amazon and all the other evil uh, retailers. And um, if you want to find out about me uh, and my work, do have a look at the website, which is truthagenda.org. And certainly have a look at some of the videos on truthagenda.org, because you'll find there, you know, a lot of detail about some of the things we've sort of gone through very quickly today. Um, But certainly there's a lot of stuff there which will help people to kind of get started on certain roads. And, uh, you know, my advice to everybody is if you're slightly concerned about some of these things, do something do one thing, whatever it is, whether it be just to share the information or to campaign in one direction, but do something. Because everybody, if if they do their little bit, then I think things could change and hopefully will change. So, but yeah, read the book, Conspiracies, have a look at truthagenda.org and uh, hopefully that might give a few pointers. Thanks, and I hope you'll agree to come back at some point. It will be a pleasure. Thank you. Andy Thomas, again, our guest. And the website, not the, it's just truthagenda.org. And, you know, I know a lot of these ideas can be controversial, and, you know, and some people get very emotional about it. The most important thing to me when we have these kinds of interviews and these kinds of chats is that the free flow of ideas is maintained. The most important thing I feel that Andy talked about tonight was this attempt to restrict free speech in the name of whether it's political correctness, whether it's um, you know anti-hate speech, whatever it happens to be, that is the most dangerous thing we face. I don't care if, if you agree with any of these ideas. The, I, the, the fact that um, governments, private companies can come in and say, you know what, your point of view is not valid, therefore we're not going to allow you to speak it. That's the most dangerous thing we face in all of this. So fight that anywhere you can, because I think that's very, very important. I mean, shows like this won't exist if they end up having their way. And they're pushing hard for this stuff. You know, they anything you say is has an ist on the end of it, whether it's racist or sexist or genderist or whatever. Or it's borderline hate speech if you, if you, if you um, accuse somebody of something. Or one of the other, you know, hot buttons. Whatever it is, we have to stop this. This is not what free speech is about. What we're doing is what free speech is about. And everybody has the right to disagree or to call it baloney. Whatever you want to do, that's fine, too. That's part of free speech. Anyway, thanks for that. listening to that rant. Uh, that's going to do it for tonight. Thank you, everybody. Love you all.
Catch you next time. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.